Yeah, well, look, I had another job at the time. I mean, this was this, 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 this a only, side hustle. I was only hold, yeah, well, CEO of Tesla was a side hustle. <laughs> well, I, what I agreed to do is hold down the port until he could bring reinforcements. <laughs> I'm Scott McGrew. Welcome to Sand Hill Road. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Well, what a complicated and nuanced question. <laughs> I mean, if I could- This week on Sand Hill Road, complexity and nuance with Michael Marks, one of the most knowledgeable people on the supply chain, manufacturing, and global trade. And if you stick around long enough, indoor skydiving. Why are you a board member on an indoor skydiving company? <laughs> You're a troublemaker. <laughs> <laughs> Marks is founding managing partner at Celesta and the former head of the mega-manufacturing multinational Flex, once known as Flextronics. We started our conversation around the global supply chain and the push to move manufacturing out of China. The geopolitics of China, Vietnam, India, which is basically people trying to move out of China and get into, into Vietnam and India, it's basically impossible, Scott. I mean, it, it's people, uh, I mean, around the edges, it, it is impossible to separate supply chains in any meaningful way. And I can give you an example of this just to highlight how complicated it is. So there was a, you know, there was a, a, an earthquake in Northern Japan, you know, some years back, whatever it was, eight or 10 years back and took out some buildings in, in Japan in a smaller city. And 90 days later, there were no red cars on any lots in the world because one of the factories was taken out was a company making an additive that went into red car, you know, paints. And they were the only supplier in the world, and they probably didn't even know it. You know, it's several steps down the supply chain. And I use that as an example of how complicated it is. It's one thing to talk about the chips. We'll come back to Chips Act, to, to what TSMC does. But it's another thing when you go down to all the chemicals and materials that go into each of these things. And it is it is necessary but not sufficient to have these kinds of factories, not in China or Taiwan. But that doesn't solve the problem of the suppliers to the suppliers to the suppliers. So it's much more complicated. So if I'm, a, if I'm a large corporation and I want to diversify out of China, it, it, one, one pull of a thread would create another pull of a thread in, until it was impossible. Exactly. And that way well, you saw it with, you know, with, with batteries, you know, the, the whole EV industry. And, you know, all the rare earth metals are coming out of China. And now there's some changes. You know, people are investing in mines and other places. But it's an example of how complicated it is. So coming back to the CHIPS Act, 
uh, it's a step in the right direction, but it, it is not a way of separating the supply chains because you have all these other materials that go into chips and circuit boards and systems. And so, you know, what I think about the CHIPS Act is if we're really going to try to decouple from China in any way, then, you know, these, these, I used to be on the board of Sandus, as, as I'm sure you know, you know, you're talking about eight, 10, 12, $15 billion now to make a fab. So uh, that's the kind of thing that takes government support. Um, and so I, I applaud the efforts. I'm just a bit skeptical that it's really going to work for the reasons we just discussed. And on top of that, you know, it's an enormous amount of skill set that doesn't in and of itself exist here. And TSMC is saying so, like they're going to be late, you know, late delivering their, their, their chip factory because they can't hire enough of the right engineers. These are very complicated. And I've, I've heard that before. And it's not that Americans are dumb by any, any stretch of the imagination. It's just that we have not been training people over the decades, the way that they have in Taiwan. That's exactly right. And so you're, you're going to try to, and, and these aren't things you solve by going and getting some engineers out of engineering school and <laughs> training them up. So, you know, you have to import people coming in from, you know, coming in from Asia. Fortunately, there's a lot in Taiwan, so that's not China per se, but is is sort of caught in the mix. Well, but, even then, you know, that, that, that we're dependent on Taiwan which we would defend as a democracy uh, in a sphere of influence that's important to us, but it becomes doubly important of defending Taiwan simply because of the chips. That's right. Well, I, I, you know, I tell people all the time, everybody has a different opinion. I think TSMC is the most important company in the world today. Michael Mark's expertise comes from years of running Flextronics, the third largest manufacturer in the world. It makes everything from Apple computers to Xboxes to Lego bricks. What, what is an important skill set to run a factory? And whether that's, you know, some monstrosity like Flex or even just the factory down the street, the manager, what is he or she doing well that is different than any other job? Well, if I can take the question in, in a slightly sure. broader context than just manufacturing itself, the most complicated and the most important part is managing the suppliers. And the only reason I made that a bigger question is because sometimes that's the factory manager and sometimes it's a different part of the organization. But being able to get materials in, you know, on time, proper quality, and then have a, a, a manufacturing mindset that, that reduces the amount of time it takes to manufacturing, to manufacture, those are the important, important skills because that's where all the capital is. You know, if you have lots of inventory, it takes a long time to rework things on the floor. Uh, you know, that takes up a lot of capital. The, the mindset, as you ask the question, what kind of mindset it takes to be successful is this constant improvement, you know, which Toyota started back, you know, 50 years ago or 60 years ago. But it's always looking at reducing the amount of time it takes to do things, reducing the, the, the quality defects. And if you have that, that uh, sensitivity to how important those things are and you continue to drive them day in and day out, you can make a successful factory, whether it's, you know, making chairs with 10 people on a line or, you know, hundreds of people on a line or, you know, building Boeing aircraft, thousands of people on a line. Speaking of factories, you were CEO of Tesla for a little bit. <laughs> you took over for, uh, from Martin. Uh, I suppose first I want to ask what you think of the Cybertruck. Well, I'm not a truck driver, so I haven't paid too much attention. I think, uh, you know, I've obviously been asked about this a lot lately. Sure. Because, you know, 
because of Walter's book and the whole thing. I mean, when I took over, so so to be clear, Elon is the one who hired me to run Tesla, not not the others. Elon, yeah. Elon had taken, but it, it, it went Martin, then you, and correct. it was yeah, correct. So, but but Elon was on the board, yes, and he was the investor, and he's the one who asked me to step in and and take over uh, from Martin, and you know who you know, good guys who started that company, but, but you know, weren't skilled to, to do the kinds of things that it takes. There was not really a factory when I was there, to be clear. I mean, we were just designing the first car and, it, you know, it was being done in a garage and, you know, up in San Mateo. Um, it was an interesting project from, for, for me from the standpoint that, I'll tell you this funny story, it's, it's you know, it was written up in Forbes. You can find it on, you know, when you Google it, me or whatever. But when I when I took over, the car wasn't really finished, and there was orders for materials going back to the supply chain to to you know build cars in January. I think it was in April or May, and so there's this whole supply chain, and the car wasn't finished. So I sat down in a conference room with the manager and said, "I want a list of everything that we know that is going to keep us from shipping a car." And that turned out to be 54 items, one of which was a transmission. We didn't have a transmission. <laughs> so what I did, and, and, and Elon will admit to that because it saved the company. I, I made him cancel every order for the materials that came in because we were going to get $25 million in materials coming in and not be able to build a car. And that would have been the end of the company. Because in those days, you know, Elon didn't have a lot of money. Lot, the the other uh, board members didn't have a lot of money. Um, and it shipped, the car shipped in January, but it had a different year attached to the, the January. And, you know, look, it was, a, it was a pleasure to do that. I, I made a bunch of good friends there. And in fact, interestingly, I just yesterday had lunch with, with one of the board members at that time I haven't seen in years. And, you know, Elon's gone on, obviously, to do just magical stuff for that. It's a best-selling car in California. It's, it's a remarkable thing. You know, he's a controversial character, as everybody yes. knows. And, um, but goodness gracious, what a great, thing for the world he's created. And the fact that he's a bit of a whack job, even he knows that, is just part of the drill. <laughs> when you were there, uh, you know, I you 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 speak of how desperate it was. I in my notes I've written down scrappy, that Tesla would have been scrappy at the time. Uh but when you're CEO and you know that every dime counts, uh the the idea of building a car company is almost insane. A car company. Yeah. Well, it, in in those days, what we were what we were doing was designing the car. You know what Elon did that was so great was turn that design into a manufactured product, which is really hard. Which is funny because you think you'd, you'd be the guy who turned it into the manufacturing product. Yeah. Well, look, I had another job at the time. I mean, this this <laughs> this, this I was is only, a side hustle. I was only hold. Yeah. Well, CEO of Tesla was a side hustle. <laughs> well, I what I agreed to do is hold down the fort until he could bring reinforcements. <laughs> but but what what you said in the beginning of this uh, of this interview is right is that manufacturing is really hard and car manufacturing is especially hard for one thing you have real competitors you know who know how to manufacture cars who have been there for nearly 100 years that's right yeah. and and so to me the fact that they became tesla has become such a good manufacturer because of my background is even more magical than the fact that that that, that they design really good cars hard work the venture world has not been scrappy 
in no. the last 10 years <laughs> or so. Uh I always struggle to describe the market conditions we're in because the data keeps coming in with good news. Uh, you know, inflation is down, uh, the unemployment rate near. So it's, you know, I don't know what market condition we're in, but venture has been forced to become scrappier. And I think that's a good, I think that's a good thing. Always is a good thing. Look, downturns in markets, I mean, we've had several downturns in the, in the technology space. You know, when you get a downturn in the technology space, it, it flows through all, all elements. Downturns are good because they make the, the, they, they weed out the weak players. They, they make the investors more disciplined. They make the companies more disciplined, spend less money. You, you know, we've all watched these, you know, we watch the the SoftBank and Tiger Globals of the world. And, you know, Sequoia and Andrews, lots of them. I mean, and I'm fans of these companies. But, but you know, we've, we've watched them pour money into companies. And then, you know, you have this downturn. A bunch of them go broke. I mean, the WeWorks of the world go broke. And then everybody gets more disciplined. And to me, there's nothing bad about that. And we're, we're, we're in a downturn in the cycle, but... But now, as we were talking earlier with artificial intelligence driving all these changes and more software companies, more hardware companies, and all this kind of stuff, it's a wonderful time to be an investor. But but prices are down. People are more disciplined. There's just no bad news there. Are you seeing that in your in your um, startups that they are realizing oh, the, the scrappiness that they need to have? For sure. In fact, and that's what's really necessary because when you when you look at venture and to a certain extent the growth markets and PE markets, I mean, you know, people aren't very disciplined in how they use money unless they're forced into it. Either forced by the investors or forced by their fear of not being able to get more capital everywhere in every one of our companies and, and everybody's companies. Everybody is really tightening down the hatches. And, and as I said, that's a good thing. People are getting much more careful about how they spend their dollars. And that's just a really good thing. So, and for sure, we're in an environment uh, that's rough in this area. I mean, companies are really tightening down the screws on capital because they're afraid they won't get capital. And there's a risk they won't. You're going to see many more bankruptcies. People just walking away going, you know, there's just not enough there there. It's good. What are you excited about in the future? Well... <laughs> Let me answer that broader first and then personally second, sure. if I could do it that way. Um, <clears throat> broader, it's that technology as, has invaded everything. If, if, you'll, if you'll let me go back to the beginnings of, of, of venture, you know, in the beginning of venture was, you know, a couple of guys out of Fairchild who started up these little companies in Silicon Valley called Silicon Valley for a reason, you know, basically doing semiconductors, you know. Here it's 50 years later, and technology, the companies we at Celesta can invest in and other guys can invest in, it's everywhere. So it became, you know, first it went into, you know, PCs and then cell phones and then, you know, e-commerce and, you know, then, you know, all, all the web-enabled stuff and stuff like that. But now it's everywhere you look. So it's in financial services, it's in healthcare management, it's in, you know, biotechnology and and you know, you look around and you see, I mean, sometimes in, in a week at our place, you just, you see companies that are so varied. We just made an investment in a company that's 3D printing rocket launchers. I mean, you know, just to give you, just, just to give you a flavor for it, right? And so, uh, 
what I'm excited about is how pervasive technology is becoming and how important it is. One of the best examples is, you know, you look at, you know, Fairchild National Semiconductor back in the day. Now you've got like three of the top, the you know, the biggest market cap companies in the world are technology companies, you know. The, the, well, for all of them, if you go to, you know, Microsoft, Apple, and Google, but you've got NVIDIA and Broadcom and, and you know, Intel. And so the, the, the industry has become so much more important and so much bigger. And so that's on a general level – there's excitement everywhere. On a personal level, I'm doing a lot in the biomedical space. And what that is, is not biotech making the difference. Biotech is therapeutics, drugs, and and we we have only one investment in a in a drug, which is an interesting technology to a company called Excision to use CRISPR technology, which was invented up here in Berkeley, um, to try to cure HIV. It is in clinical trials, and that's pretty cool. But we're not really a biotech investor. What we do is invest in either the use of artificial intelligence or some form of hardware. And like we have a company, uh, White Rabbit, that is using artificial intelligence to read mammograms. I mean, to me, that's like, so I'm chairman of that company. I, I love the technology. It's real artificial intelligence. And it's doing something really good for the world, better than getting faster delivery of food, which isn't an unimportant company. But for me personally, you know, I'm older. I've, I've been successful. Um, and so I have that. We have companies doing uh, using tools for improving magnetic resonance, you know, MRIs. We have a company at NARP in Japan that that is doing uh, um, non-invasive, you know, blood work and these kinds of things. And so I'm spending a bunch of my time with these companies just because at this stage of my life, it's more interesting to learn about new things that do more manufacturing stuff. But anyway, the fact that that technology is ubiquitous is really, really cool. You mentioned White Rabbit and at a certain age that you want to make sure that the world is going to be a better place. Uh, but on your list of board members, <laughs> <Uh-oh. yeah. laughs> an indoor skydiving company. Why are you a board member on an indoor skydiving company? <laughs> You're a troublemaker. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a lot of technology in that one, but that would not be the answer. Uh, it's interesting company. The company you're talking about is iFly, and it's a wonderful company. Um, that was a company that I invested in when I was in, in the growth capital business at Riverwood. And it was a very successful company. We had a very successful exit. Uh, one of the, the guy who runs the company today, Matt Ryan, who also we put in to run it back in the day, it was like 2014 or something, you know, ran all the operations of Flextronics, really strong operating guy. And a, and a very good friend. And what happened is in the during the pandemic, the owners basically shut it down and we bought it for nothing. And we had the guy who'd already run it. I mean, literally, we bought it for $12 million. And uh, today it's doing $150 million of revenue, making $35 million. And, you know, Matt Ryan, the guy who ran it back in the day, still runs it. We're all friends. So that's and- one of the boards that takes an hour a month, by the okay, way. Okay, yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> Because he's a and, terrific operator. Uh, and Crocs. What do you know about shoes? You know, it's interesting. Uh, uh, thanks for asking that. I I got involved um, with Crocs uh, quite a long time ago. So it was about two, 2007. And and the guy, Ron Snyder, who who was a good friend of mine, he was a, 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 a senior executive at Flextronics. And he went off to, this is one of the things he was putting together an investment. He had friends were playing golf one day, put together some money, went and did that. You know, that has more um, 
more relationship to Flex than you might think in the sense that that's company. I mean, there's obviously fashion, but, but is, you know, is a manufacturer and a really good manufacturer. And those products originally, and still, but, but were very heavy duty in plastic injection molding, which is a technology we knew very well. And so a lot of the same kinds of approaches and techniques uh, were used there. I mean, I was just a board member and investor. I was never active in the in the company, but I do have an interesting story to relate to you about this, which was uh, I went to China three months ago, and it's the first time I've been in China for, mm-hmm. you know, 15 years. Mm-hmm. And I went to see a shoe manufacturer, a company called Shoe Town, which is the flex or the Foxconn of that world. I have another company uh, that, and they're making parts for uh, uh, carbon fiber inserts for shoes. And I went because I know from my flex days that that if you're little, you 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 better get a personal relationship or they just won't be able to take care of you. This is a big company, and I went there, and um, it was it was like seeing flex, but in the shoe, you know, they're making Nike and Adidas and all this other stuff, and and Crocs. And so you know, I saw a bunch of products I didn't even know that Crocs had, but it was an interesting story since you raised the issue because we were talking about geopolitics mm-hmm. and all this China stuff. It's just such a bummer for this guy. The guy who runs the firm and owns it. This is a big company. Um, I don't know, you know, in the billions of dollars or so. And they're under so much pressure because of the geopolitics. And so they're opening a factory in Vietnam. They're opening a factory in India. They don't want to. They have this wonderful operation in, you know, Guangzhou, China. And I just felt sad for the guy because it's just hard having this overlay of geopolitics when they're just grinding away trying to build stuff. Great just, try, just trying to make shoes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Is this something we can fix? That's above my pay grade. It really is. In answer to the question, I don't know. I I mean, what's going to happen is we're going to have some successes and some failures, and it's just a really complicated, nuanced thing. I mean, the shoe company can go make shoes in Vietnam or in India, and they'll be okay. But, um, you know, back to the electronics, the supply chains are so complicated. I, I, I'm just hopeful that these governments find a way to work together where we don't have to try to separate. The last unusual thing that I was looking as I was doing my research that I thought, oh, that, but, but there's an interesting story behind that uh, and did further research and understood why is you're on the board of trustees at Juilliard. Um, do you mind if I ask you about that? I'm not currently on the board, but I was just at Juilliard this last week, so I'd be delighted to have your questions about Juilliard. Sure. Fine institution. You, you, well, and you gave a lot of money to, to Juilliard. Did, the, yeah. the Alan D. Marks Center for the— Wow, you did career- some homework here. Partner. I did some homework. Uh, who was Alan D. Marks? My brother. My brother was a Juilliard graduate and a world-famous pianist, and he died of HIV, young, a young man. So I did this in his honor. And actually, it's part of the reason we made the investment in the companies trying to cure HIV. Tell me more about your brother. So the reason I wound up doing this, making this in investment, and I was just there talking to him, we created the Alan D. Marks uh, Entrepreneurial Studies Center, is that when my brother was at Juilliard, which is in the late 60s, you know, Juilliard was just people sitting in, in, in practice rooms eight hours a day, you know, learning to play the piano. And so my brother took classes at Columbia at night because he wanted to understand something about how the world works as opposed to just playing the piano. 
and that was the inspiration for our families. We have a we have a family philanthropic foundation, and it was the impetus for the it was a ten year gift, which is coming near the end now, uh, to create entrepreneurial studies, and it's become so successful that it started out just being um, uh, electives, and now it's required. There's classes that are required of every student in Juilliard to learn, you know, a little bit about how financial statements work, to learn how to write resumes, to get exposed to people who've gone off and are not concert pianists or concert violinists and and have created, you know, uh, uh, you know, other kinds of businesses. One of my favorite is Project Music Heals Us, which is a company that sends professional musicians into hospitals and prisons and, you know, plays for people and changes their lives and all that stuff. So it's become very key, and my brother would have been thrilled to see what what's happening. It's really cool. Michael Marks, founder and managing partner at Celesta. As we leave you, New World Records was kind enough to allow us to share pianist Alan Marks' work. Sandhill Road is produced by Sean Myers under the leadership of Sarah Bueno and Stephanie Adruni. For more interviews with Silicon Valley's most influential entrepreneurs, check me out on TV at Press Here. That's Sunday mornings on NBC Bay Area and everywhere in the world on iTunes and at PressHereTV.com.